Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome for an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. I tried passing a car uh, on my drive over here, but Coach Belichick called me and told me not to do it. Oh, my God. Incredible. We have a lot to discuss about that game and so much more in the land of sports because you are listening to the sports edition of the ODPH and we want to interact with you. So make sure to swing on over to ODPHpodcast.com. Join the conversation on our social media accounts. You can find them all right there at OD Parlay Hour on most platforms. You can also check out the blog section of the show, Parlay Points, which we've got new ones coming up each and every day. The T Public Store. So if you're looking for that holiday gift for a certain somebody, why not go get some ODPH swag pads? Deal and shirt is flying off the, the racks there as well. All that and so much more, odphpodcast.com, and remember to use the hashtag odphpod on social media, because let's kick this show off as we do during the NFL season. It's Locks and Leaps recap time, so Pad, take it away. Yeah, so we're going to start with my lock. Uh, I chose the Kansas City Chiefs to defeat the Denver Broncos, uh, which they did by a final score of 22-9. to Patrick Mahomes had 15 of 29 for 184 yards passing, no touchdowns, just one interception. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, 22 of 40 for 257 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. So are we ready to crown Kansas City again? Because this is what really frustrated me about this game. Mm -hmm. The minute that it was done, everybody was like, oh, Kansas City's back, Kansas City this, Kansas City that. Listen, Denver is not good. No. By any stretch of the imagination, I think that if you thought that they were supposed to be the runaway contenders in the AFC West, you were sadly mistaken because, obviously, if you start off on a hot streak, as the games they did for those first three games, you got to temper those expectations. Sure. Now, Kansas City is getting back into somewhat form. I'm still not ready to crown them as the heir apparent of the AFC, Yeah, but this was a good win for them. You can't take anything away from that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, in this Highly contested AFC West. Every win, especially division, is big. So this was a huge step for them. Now the question is where we shake out from here. No, yeah, I definitely think uh, Kansas City's on the right track back. They're definitely not winning like they used to. I'm not ready to crown them and say, oh, they're they're the they're the you know cream of the crop, the best team you know in the AFC. Because outside of that, you know. I don't even know what you call it, game between them and the Raiders where Mahomes put up five touchdowns. Mm -hmm. You know, every other every other game, you know, he's put up a total of just, like, three. Yeah. You know, so and, and that's a little concerning to me. You know, hey, it's great you can go into Vegas and drop five touchdowns on them, you know, in a blowout of a game, 41-14. to 14. But, you know... It should be more just because as dynamic as this team is with, with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, you know, and they've finally got, you know, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire back, you know, it, I feel like it should just be more, you know. And, and, hey, it's good that they're winning, but and I'm not pushing the panic button yet, but I'm not exactly also ready to crown them, you know. I'm not, re you know, I'm not ready to say, yeah, they're there. There's still a little bit of question mark and there's still a little bit of eh, a little skepticism. I still think they're sus. 
to yeah. be to be blatantly honest. This game, albeit like we said, it's a good win against a division rival. Yeah. But after this game and seeing some of the media allegedly crowning, is a couple of tweets I saw come out from people. I'm like, we. Did we watch the same game? Yeah, I mean, because I'm looking at, since they started this win streak, you know, their last loss was against Tennessee back in October. You know, they beat the Giants 20-17, to 17, which I'm sorry, that should have been more. Yeah, exactly. The, you know, they beat Green Bay, which, you know, hey, you know, 13-7, to 7, you know, which was without Aaron Rodgers, which, again, should have been more. Mm-hmm. You know, you beat the Vegas Raiders with 41-14, to 14, which, hey, feather in your cap, division rival, that, that was a tough game. You know, well, not even a real tough game, but that was a divisional game. So you had a feeling Vegas was going to try and play hard, but then Dallas was nineteen to nine. So you know, good win, gutsy win. But then you get to this game against Denver. Denver is not good. No, Denver has nothing really going for them on the offensive side of the ball. Their leading rusher was Javante Williams, which have a game on which had twenty three carries, one hundred and two yards, no touchdowns. You know, and then their leading receiver was Jerry Judy, four catches, seventy seven yards, no touchdowns. You know, but outside of that, it's like, yeah, nothing's really scaring me. You're saying, hey, I need a guy on my fantasy team for the week because I got an injury and a bye. I'm not looking at exactly looking and see what Denver's got. No, you can't. And obviously, they got lucky. Their defense balled out. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had an interception pick six. Yeah. So you take that away. The offensive juggernaut that everybody thought was going to be running away and parking their you know tickets to the Super Bowl. They didn't really show up. You take no. the, you take that six away from twenty two, doing some Scott Steiner math. You're barely beating the team that on paper shouldn't even be on the field with you. They're not far above the Jets. They're marginally better than the Jets in that you know they've got Jerry Judy, who's not bad. They've got Noah Font, who's not bad. You know he's he's, he's serviceable if yeah. you, if you need a backup in fantasy. You know, but he's not exactly like you know top seven round draft pick. You know, you're not going out to get him when everyone starts taking tight ends. You know, but they don't have a quarterback. Teddy, don't get me wrong. Teddy Bridgewater is okay, but he's not exactly the guy that, yep, that's my guy of the future. That's my franchise quarterback. So they're they're marginally better than the Jets, and as such, Kansas City should have blown them out. They should have. And now Kansas City is sitting pretty at the top of the AFC West. Mm-hmm. But... As going into the playoffs, I still would not be banking on them to go through the AFC. I'd be concerned just because you're you're scraping by with some wins here. You know, again, taking out the Vegas win, you you scrape by the Packers, which should have been more. Mm-hmm. You scrape by the Giants, which should have been a joke. That any game, any station that wasn't in the New York or Kansas City area should have switched off of that game just for Facts. Just, you know for hey, let's we'll switch you to a more competitive game. And the Dallas game could have been more, probably should have been more, just as good as you are. And if I'm not mistaken, that was with all that was also without some of the Dallas top receivers. You know, so yeah, you're right. Kansas City, congratulations, you're sitting here eight and four, top of the AFC West. You know, ahead of the Chargers, who are seven and five. But I'd be a little concerned come playoff time because it's great to scrape. It's okay to scrape by the Giants in in you know the Packers when they're down Aaron Rodgers and some of their key players. That's not going to get you by in the playoffs when it's everybody at the top of their game. Mm-hmm. And then taking a look at their schedule too. Yeah, they've got the Raiders uh, this coming week, and then they have the Chargers, Steelers, Bengals, and Denver to close out the year. So that is not an easy road to go undefeated no. the rest of that season. And Pittsburgh's playing with house money at the like Pittsburgh they should theoretically win, but Pittsburgh's playing with house money at this point. Yeah, Pittsburgh, you never know what you're gonna get off each week. And Cincinnati, if they're healthy, 
Do you want any part of them? Uh, hell no. That's the thing. Kansas City right now is really mirroring Dallas uh-huh. to me. It's the same side of the coin. Yeah. You have this dynamic offense. You have a player on defense that can really step up in Matthew for Kansas yeah. City. But after that, you're not scaring anybody. No. And the thing is, Patrick Mahomes, for as great as everybody was saying he is, and everybody's, oh, Kansas City's back, Kansas City's back, I still haven't seen it on the field doing the eye test. No. You're not putting up those fantasy insane numbers. Yeah, he's got 3,384 yards, uh, which is good for fifth in the league. Mm-hmm. 25 touchdowns, which is tied for fifth in the league. He has a QBR of 56.5, which is good for ninth in the league, but he's also got 12 interceptions. Yeah, that's the key factor right there. If you got double-digit interceptions, are you really elite? Mm-hmm. It's a tough argument. Yeah, no, right now, no. No, I don't think he is, and I don't think this team is going to be my odds-on favorite to win the Super Bowl right now? No. no. Or even get out of the AFC. Now, it wouldn't be the first time a team has stumbled into the playoffs, flipped a switch, and been, oh, yeah, this is how we're supposed to play. Oh, absolutely. No, they could definitely turn it on, but I'm sitting here watching these past couple weeks, and minus the Raiders game, win. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to see. But this was a good win for them nevertheless. We have to give them their due. Yeah. But moving forward... Uh, let's see a little bit more out of this Kansas City if you're really back yeah. and everybody's saying, oh, we're back, we're back. No, you're not. You may have taken the steps to get back on the the right track, but you're not there yet. You beat a team you should have, albeit it should have been a lot more. Facts. Next up? Uh, next up was my leap, and I chose the leap because, hey, the rest of the other leaps that when I was picking them sucked. Uh, and Ken can quote me on this because mm-hmm. we were picking our leaps, and I go, holy shit, I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to have to do it. The rest of these leaps suck. Uh, but it ended up working out for me because the New England Patriots beat the Buffalo Bills 14 to 10. Uh, Mac Jones had a career high game, two of three for 19 yards, uh, no touchdowns or interceptions. Josh Allen, 15 of 30 for 145 yards, uh, one touchdown, no interceptions. And we should note the reason I'm bringing up the whole joke is in case you haven't heard, uh, the Patriots three pass attempts were the fewest in franchise history and was tied, uh, with the 1968 chiefs for the second fewest in a game in the Super Bowl era. Uh, the Bills themselves once attempted two passes in a game versus the Jets in 1974. Uh, up until Mac Jones threw two more passes, it was also the fewest passing attempts in a quarterback by a quarterback in the Super Bowl era. And good God, you know. Also, you had the Patriots become the first team since 19 this 1978 Saints to rush on 90 percent of their plays uh, because you had Damian Harris go 10 uh, carries for 111 yards, one touchdown. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson 24 carries for 78 yards, no touchdowns. You know, Brandon Bolden, their third running back, four carries for 28 yards. Because in case you didn't know or you missed the game, the weather was shit. Yeah, the weather was absolutely atrocious up there. 30 mile, thirty plus mile an hour winds with like 50 plus mile an hour wind gusts. The wind was so bad that during pregame, you know, you got the little flags on top of the goalposts. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the one end of the Buffalo field, one of the flags actually blew off the goalposts. Yeah. You knew it was going to be a long night when they were honoring Terrell Owens and retiring his number or whatever they were doing. This is facts. At they, the beginning of the game. They honored Terrell Owens for his contributions to the Buffalo Bills. Terrell Owens, who played one season in Buffalo where they went 6-10. and ten. Uh, Did they make the playoffs? Only if they bought a ticket. No. Yeah. I, the minute this happened, and I did not realize this because I was streaming on 607TWS, the game was already done. I don't know why Buffalo was doing this. This is one of the more puzzling moves that I've seen mm-hmm. in recent memory. But once we got on the field, the Bills came out hot and were definitely putting some pressure on Mac. 
Yeah. And they were doing the right things. The game was very close going into the first and then the first half. It was only 11 to 3. Uh, yeah. 11 to 7 rather. Yeah, but. and the first half was very sloppy, you know. You had Buffalo uh Breda fumble the ball. I think it was maybe the first series mm-hmm. of the first series of the games, you yeah. know, that New England capitalized, you know, and then you had and I don't know why in the fuck they did this. Put uh Patriots put Nikhil Harry back for a punt when he hadn't compl- uh, attempted a punt in his entire NFL career and attempted nine of them in his entire collegiate career, you know, were it not for the botched punt, you know, Buffalo wouldn't have scored, you know, so you had that going on. You had the punters absolutely struggling. You know, I know uh, Patriots punter Jake Bailey, who's one of the better punters in the NFL, I'll say, mm-hmm. went to attempt a punt. It hit a wall of wind and fell down for a net 15-yard punt. You know, the the special teams was just bad the entire first half, and it was showing. There's a lot that was bad about this game for the Buffalo side, too. Like, I got to be very critical of my team. As much as I, you're hearing a lot of people on social media screaming a lot of different stories, listen, at the end of the day, this boils down to a fact that I've been unfortunately saying since our pre-show, mm-hmm. if not even longer. The Bills have a very bad run defense. Very bad. It gets camouflaged a lot when you have a very high-powered offense. And their defense, while it is good against the pass, and they get after the ball very, very well, they do struggle against the run. In these weather conditions where you were seeing the flag fly off the goalpost, as Pat alluded to, yeah, it was not ideal for any kind of passing offense to be going on. You knew that the Patriots are that smart. They were going to run the ball oh, hell yeah. as much as physically possible. The fact that their team had 46 attempts, if I'm reading this correctly, yeah, Pat. Yeah, you're correct. 46 attempts. Says it all. They were prepared for this game. The Bills were not because as much as it pains me to say it, Belichick outsmarted McDermott. He did everything that you need to do to be elite in this game, and that is adapt to change. Mm -hmm. The weather was awful. They decided to keep running the ball, and they were doing it at weaknesses on the Bills' defensive side. They were executing at will. Now... To flip the coin, Mm -hmm. the Bills offense, I'm struggling trying to figure out during this weather scenario why there were 30 pass attempts. I think it goes down to what I've said, you know, the last couple of weeks and since the start of the year. And it's not it's not to shit on you, but Buffalo doesn't have a run game. Well, that, no, they, it's, it's absolutely true. You're, you're right about that. They do not have a run game. Again, they have not had a running back crack 100 yards rushing mm-hmm. in the in a game this season. They might be, and I'm not going to spend all the time looking up every game and every running top rusher, but they might be the only team in the NFL this year who has not had a running back crack 100 yards. And with a game like this, you would have figured this would be the goddamn game to do it. Now, I can understand Josh Allen attempting some passes. Yeah. I'll be honest. Mac is good. He doesn't have the zip on the ball that Josh Allen has. So Josh can zip that ball through the air and through those wind conditions with a little more control as much as he can in those conditions better than Matt can. So I can understand some of those pass attempts. Not 30, though. If there was a game to crack 100 yards with your running game, this had been it. But again, your leading rusher was your quarterback, six carries, 39 yards. No, I agree with you about the run, but as high as that pass attempt rates, that's the scary thing about this. And especially for a mobile quarterback, which let's not forget, Josh Allen is. And and Patriots defensive player Adrian Phillips said, you know, told ESPN when they were interviewing players, 
he's one of the toughest quarterbacks to guard against. Yeah. This was a time that I would have been doing a lot more fake attempts to go downfield and just have Josh run and control that side of the ball. Sure. The minute you started losing the line of scrimmage to the Patriots' running game, which was literally running back by committee for the most part, let's be honest. I'll say they've got – Patriots had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven men listed as having a rush attempt. I mentioned the three running backs. You also had Nelson Aguilar, who's one of our starting wide receivers, Mm -hmm. get a carry. Kendrick Bourne, who's another one of our starting wide receivers, get a carry. Jonu Smith, who's one of our starting tight ends, got a carry. And then you had Mac Jones uh, take a couple of carries, you know, just to you know burn some clock and chew up some yardage. Yeah. So okay. So take Jones out of the equation. So sure. you, you had six running backs, and so that is by committee. Yeah. The fact that the Bills let up that many yards to a running back by committee, because let's face it, the Patriots are not known for having an elite running game. No, it's it's pretty damn good. It's good. Days. It's good. It's good. But it's, it's good these but, days. But, but elite. No, that, no, that's what I'm saying. It's not like Derrick Henry's in that backfield. No. No. God no. This is where the Bills struggle to adapt with. And for the, on the offensive side, too, I'm blaming a lot of this. If I have to say, okay, whose fault is this, is on the coaching. Well, and it's absolutely on the coaching, and this goes to the defensive coordinator, who we've said for a couple of years now cannot make second-half adjustments mm-hmm. to save his life. I'm starting to think this man can't make adjustments, period, because Mac Jones had one attempt, pass attempt, in the entire first half. Yeah. It's pretty goddamn obvious, and you don't have to be the computer on Madden on easy mode to figure out, hey, what are they going to do? Oh, they're going to run it, especially when you look at the personnel they were doing where they were putting more linemen in there. Yeah, it was just puzzling to see that Frazier didn't make any adjustments at this stage because, I mean, I'm sorry, you have to scrap everything that happened before this game. Sure. This is the Patriots. This is for your AFC East Division, and I think if the Bills would have won, that would have put them in. If I remember the second, broad, the broadcast right, they said they would have put them in second place in the AFC. Yeah, so the the stakes have never been higher for the Bills this season. No, they needed to win this game, and they really got exposed because at the end of the day, if you really want to break down the offensive failures, twelve snaps in the red zone, mm-hmm. one touchdown. Uh huh. So seven points out of 12 snaps. And you had the missed field goal attempt, which you and I both know your opinion on Tyler Bass. Yeah, Tyler Bass, listen, is not exactly striking the Justin Tucker vibes in me. Hell no. So to see him try kicking in that wind, I'm not blaming him. I think even Tucker would have had issues with it. I mean, let's let's remember you also in Buffalo had that blizzard game against Indianapolis a couple years ago where Vinatieri was still kicking for the Colts. And I'm like, shit, Vinatieri's, I remember watching that game when shit, Vinatieri's good. I don't think he's that good. And he golf English hooked it into the goddamn uprights. Exactly. I'm not blaming this on Bass. I'm, he gets a pass from me on this. But when you are not having the success in the air passing, why are you trying to do a kick late and especially he's struggling in the wind. Right, and this was going into the wind where earlier in the game when the Patriots scored their first touchdown, the Patriots went for two because they know, hey, we're going into the wind. We have Nick Folk, who's an all right kicker. Yeah. Folk ain't going to make this shit. Exactly. So they're like, hey, we're going for two. At worst, we don't make it and we're up 6 nothing. Yeah, and the fact that you did not mix in more fake pass attempts and let Josh run and control the clock. Yeah. You don't have to have a 100-yard rusher to win this game. Albeit it would have helped, but you had to switch that offensive up to do it, mm-hmm. and they didn't. Instead, we're trying to do these 20-yard bombs to Dawson Knox, of all people, who I don't understand why Josh has this love affair that he got locked in on him, 
and left Diggs alone. Even though Diggs was getting double covered, he still was breaking open. Oh, yeah. Cole Beasley, where was he? Diggs made one of the best catches I've ever seen, yeah. given the weather conditions. You know, the, the, the spinning backwards toe drag catch, you know, late in the game. I was like, shit. Exactly. When he was working the sideline, the left side of the field, Josh was having great success. All right, so go to it. Utilize it. Your line was giving you time. But he was pressing down the center of the field during that windstorm, too, which I don't mm-hmm. even understand. Because that's going to throw your trajectory off on your ball. Yeah. That is why you were having deflections and getting, and w- the struggles you did. Mm-hmm. I understand that. So you have to be smart and switch and go, you know what? Listen, I understand what they're calling him. Dabble's calling these plays in. I need to make an audible. I need to do something about this. You're a mobile freaking quarterback. Yeah. Run the ball. Yeah. I don't understand why you sat there and you just were throwing double coverage to Dawson Knox, like the ghost of J.P. Lossman reappeared. Yeah. I know I'm going to catch some heat online for that from Bills fans, but listen, let's be honest. The passes that he was trying to do late were egregious, and I hate saying this about Josh. I'm one of the biggest Josh Allen's fans you're going to find, but I'm a realist about this. Well, and there was a couple of times where, you know, he took a hit, in where he either A, should have thrown the ball away, or B, taken off with his legs. Yes. Because we've seen this. And I thought he got rid of that nonsense, that he got over that, but clearly not. No, the Patriots are throwing defensive schemes at him that was really making him scared to go to digs or anybody else. It just blew my mind that he was still struggling with this. Like, I understand that he went to digs with four receptions. I get that. Sure. But still, he was trying to throw the ball to Knox. Knox was having his struggles, too. It's not like the team was really locked and loaded for this game, and that's the most disheartening thing about it. The Bills can hang with the elite teams, but we're showing these lapses of judgment that are really struggling to seal the deals and have them take that next step, which they should be doing. And for whatever reason, the offense just was not clicking. Yeah, The run game, like we've talked about in the past, listen, they don't have one, and this was going to come back to haunt them. The fact that you're only getting some part production out of Zach Moss. It is what it is. Eight carries, 21 yards. Yeah, Singletary is a better catcher for screen passes than he is running up the middle, even though he did have a couple good yards running. Yeah. It's still something that's going to hold them back, and they got exposed in this because for the game that they really needed to hone in on running the ball and controlling the clock, they didn't. Mm -hmm. And I don't fault them for doing the one – uh, challenge about Mac Jones getting the first down. They needed to stop the momentum of the Patriots at that time. Sure, that's a bad or that's a good timeout to lose. That's a bad call to even try doing it to think if you're going to win it. But that was a good move to do. So I don't fault McDermott on it, but I do fault him on not having a better scheme and working with Dabble to control the clock and utilize what you had. See, that makes sense to me now. But in the in the game, I'm like, oh, that's going to. I thought that was going to come back to burn them. No, I, just I, because I knew which direction they were going. You know. Fourth quarter, all they're going to be going into the win. I'm like, you. if you're down, which they were the entire game, I'm, I was thinking at the time, you're going to need all those timeouts, which ended up not being the case. Right. No, they were sitting there thinking that they were going to come back with this, which is a good mentality to have. And that's why McDermott, I actually applaud him for doing this. But at the end of the day, this was a bad loss for the Bills. Mm-hmm. It was a great win for the Patriots, now seven in a row. I'll say, yeah, seven in a row. And it was also Mac Jones's uh, 
won his first six road games, uh, putting him in the likes of uh, Roethlisberger and Dak Prescott as rookie quarterbacks who have won their first six road games. Also, since you know he's getting a lot of comparisons to that uh, last guy who used to be quarterback mm-hmm. in New England, and no, I'm not talking about Cam Newton. Uh, they're having an eerily start to their first 12 games in their career. Uh, Brady had, well, had was 9-3 and three through his first 12 games, had a completion percentage of 65%. Uh, TD to interceptions was 16-10, to 10, and then he had 2,491 yards. Uh, Mac Jones is 8-4 and four through his first 12 games, completion percentage of 70. Touchdown to interception is 16-8, to eight, and he has 2,850 yards. I did not realize it was that close. It is. It's, it's very eerie of the similarities between Mac Jones and Tom Brady. It's eerie. I also got to love, you know, the one reporter post game asking Mac Jones, "How much? What was the game with your fewest pass attempts in your career?" And he goes, "Oh, I don't know." And I'm sitting there going, "Nah, Mac, I'm pretty sure this is it." Well, he's smart enough not to give the news media anything to run with. Yeah, this is something that the, he kept his poise about. Yeah, and this is something that I wish the Bills were learning about too, because the post conference quotes that have been coming out, and especially. In the heat of the moment, the defensive players that addressed the media and were mad they got questioned about the run defense, look, it was a good question. It was a bad time to ask it, though. And I refer to this when you talk about fighters that get knocked out in the UFC. They shouldn't be doing interviews. The bill should have just said, you know what, get the fine. We're not going to media day. On to next week. Because now they are in trouble of not making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They can still sneak in there, but... Looking at the schedule ahead of them, this is not going to be an easy road. Yeah, so I'm looking uh, at the uh, AFC football conference uh, playoff standings, uh, where currently the Buffalo Bills are the seventh seed ahead of Pittsburgh at the number eight seed. You got also got Indianapolis and the Raiders right there at nine and ten. Uh, for the Bills' remaining schedule, there it is. Uh, they have got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers down in Tampa this coming week. Mm-hmm. After that, they've got Carolina at home. Then they travel up to New England to pay the pa- Patriots. Uh, then they're at home against the Atlanta Falcons. And then they close out the year at home against the Jets. So the Carolina game is winnable. Sure. The Atlanta game, winnable. And the Jets game, winnable. Mm-hmm. The other two, they have to get one of those. I mean, we know Brady's record against the Bills. I know. And this is why this scares me. It's like twenty three and two, twenty two and three, something like that. Exactly. As I'm a going bi- off the top of my head here, as a Bills fan, I am very scared of that. But to get to the playoffs, they have to beat those teams that we mentioned. Yeah. They have to beat Carolina. They have to beat Atlanta. They have to beat the Jets. Uh huh. On paper, this should be a no brainer. But hey, look what happened when we faced Jacksonville. I was just about to say the same thing. Listen, I'm a realist, not a not. I have, I might have gone through a table here and there, but still I have my wits about me to realize that was a bad decision. Uh-huh. The Bills need to split one of those two games with the, either Tampa or New England. Yeah. They have to. If they don't, I fear they're going to miss the playoffs. Yeah, no, they absolutely have to. And the thing I think that is working against Buffalo is Belichick is rent-free in their heads right now. Because the conversation is all about what Belichick did and quotes about Belichick and this and that and not about the game. Well, the problem is that the Bills players, when they were getting asked about this game, were just feeding right into it. Uh huh. You know, this is where they should have listened to what the Patriots players were doing on a usual week. Don't speak to the media. Say it was a bad loss. Next week, Tampa Bay, deuces, I'm out. Oh, so Christ, the Patriots wouldn't even let Mac Jones talk to Peyton Manning for, like, you know, before Manning cast. That's the whole thing. 
You knew who was ready for this game. And this pains me because seeing the product on the field, it's the same old shit to quote wrestling. And I hate saying this. The run, both sides of the ball, was the biggest factor of this game. Yeah. The lack thereof on both. Mm-hmm. We couldn't get stops when we needed to. And I understand the second, the fourth quarter, they started locking it in. Sure, that's great, but you're down already. Uh-huh. And you don't have that cushion that your offense is going to keep you on the field to get rested. And that's when you start making passes and pressing for things you really probably shouldn't yeah. be. And this is where Josh had a bad game in the worst possible time. So now the pressure is really on him moving forward. If you're going to be taking that next step, and I know you got that big money contract, and mm-hmm. it's well worth it. As a Bills fan, it's worth it. But you need to do better in those pressure games. That window of opportunity that the learning curve was there is gone. Yeah, the training wheels are off. Exactly. You need to win now against the elite teams. If, you, if you're not doing it, why even bother going in the playoffs? You're going to get smoked. This, this was the type of game that is an up-and-coming quarterback you need to win and is a would be a statement win that, like, hey, he is arrived. He is there. The gritty, gutsy, you haven't seen a game like this in God knows how long, and he was able to pull it out. It's the benchmark. Yeah. He needed to because, I'm sorry, as I hate saying it, the ghost of J.P. Lossman reemerged for a couple of those plays. That scares me. And I'm not saying this to be sensationalizing the situation, but – a couple of those pass opportunities brought back a lot of bad memories as a Bills fan. Sure. So Josh and company have to do better next week. Have to. As for the Patriots, they do Patriots things. Yeah, uh, they got a bye week uh, this coming week, so they're off. And then uh, they on week 15, they are playing Indianapolis on Saturday night. Uh, week 16, they're playing Buffalo. Then they've got Jacksonville and the Dolphins to close out the year. So they do have the chance to really make some noise. Yeah. And I mean, obviously being the number one seed in the AFC, <sighs> it's like deja vu all over again. Also so the game in Indianapolis is uh, against Indianapolis is an Indy, so we don't got to worry about no ball pressure. No, it, just saying. No, there'll be a revenge game for that. I feel uh-huh. I, I, I feel extremely bad for the regime that's there now, because oh, let me tell you, Belichick's going to run that score up something egregious. Uh-huh. <sighs> Nevertheless, so let's go flip it to my locks and leaps now, shall we? Sure. So my lock, I took a, a little roll of the dice, and man, did it come back to haunt me because I was thinking Seattle's a little wounded. Mm-hmm. They played a, they have no offensive line. The 49ers yep. are playing good, even showing flashes of greatness. And <laughs> boy, was I wrong. Yeah, Seattle won by the final score of 32-23, excuse me. Uh, Russell Wilson had 30 of 37 for 231 yards, passing two touchdowns, one interception. Jimmy Garoppolo had 20 of 30 for 299 yards, passing two touchdowns, two interceptions. Well, Seattle, I don't know. You know, every time I think I have this team figured out, they do something like this. Despite a baller game from uh, one George Kittle, nine catches, 181 yards, two touchdowns. Yeah, the fact that he got off like that and they still lost, it just confuses me as a fan. Shootout, anything you can do, I can do better. Because Seattle, let's face it, in years past has been great. Uh Uh-huh. And we had high expectations this year. Obviously, injuries happen when you don't have Russell Wilson on the field. Yep. The running game injuries. Yeah. They should have been completely ran out of the stadium this week. Sure. But 
Division game, they got up for it. Division game, they had an, they had an okay running game. You know, they had 146 yards rushing uh, between Wilson, Adrian Peterson, Rashard Penny, and then Travis Homer. Uh, but at the bulk of, I think, their offense really came from the passing game. Uh, Tyler Lockett, seven catches, 68 yards, one touchdown. DK Metcalf, five catches, 60 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, D. Extridge, uh, three catches, 35 yards, one touchdown. So not bad for a receiving game. Not bad receiving game at all. I mean, this is going to be a bounce-back game. And, yeah. you know, the, the CL is not as puzzling as Atlanta, but you have to think that when they show these flashes of brilliance, you never know what could happen. Yeah. And especially now that clearly playoffs are not going to be in their future, you have to think they're trying to get some wins to maybe cause some trade buzz, maybe get some I kind mean, of momentum. I mean, playoffs aren't in their future, but let's not forget, there was a play. Uh, there was a scenario, at least last week, I don't know if it's still in play, but there was a scenario last week, going into this week, where the Detroit Lions could have made the playoffs. Right, but to pull that off, I mean, there has to be like a solar eclipse, and, and Haley's Comet has to swing through. you got to have and, a 33 and a third percent chance. Yeah, I mean, the math statistics on that is just mind-blowing on that. And But like I say, you never know, but being four and eight now yeah you have to think that either they're going to run the table and sneak in but that's highly unlikely they need a lot of help they're second to last in the nfc yeah i was going to say like they would need like a colossal collapse of every other team in the nfc to get in there so you have to think they're working on trades or working on you know where their future endeavors are going to be russell wilson's name has been thrown around possibly getting traded yeah i don't know exactly if i buy that stock just It's, it's going to take a lot to get him out of seattle yeah, you mean you basically forfeiting a franchise. Yep. So what team is that desperate to do it? Pittsburgh. Well, Pittsburgh has to be in that contention, even though there's a lot of talk about Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. I saw that report coming around, yeah. rumored, and I'm like, well, if he goes there, like we talked about in the pre-show this season for the NFL, Rich was three or five would mention that as well, too. If he goes there, it's... It's not bad, but it's not great. It, yeah, it's, it's going to be lights out in Pittsburgh for a lot of teams because... If you if you give Pittsburgh substantial quarterback stability and one that Rodgers can give them that Roethlisberger just can't do because of the, the body of work that he's mm-hmm. taken, yeah, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a whole new team down there and yeah. with the steel curtain. So you never know. But Russell Wilson could also do that too. I mean, that's the one thing about him. When you have an elite quarterback, you see games like this that they should have been eliminated on paper. Like this should not have been as close as it was. Yeah. And then, let alone Seattle, does wind up sneaking that win out. Yeah. It's wild to think. Yeah, so uh, looking at Seattle's schedule to close out the year, they've got uh, Houston next uh, this coming week. Then they've got the Rams, Bears, Lions, and uh, Cardinals. Uh, so should be a couple interesting games in there. You never know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on the flip side, looking at San Francisco's schedule, because uh, as I look at the NFC playoff picture, uh, they are currently in the seventh uh, position ahead of the Philadelphia Eagles at the eight spot, Vikings at the nine, and then Panthers at the 10. Uh, the Niners schedule to close out the year. They've got uh, Cincinnati this coming week. Then they've got Atlanta, Tennessee, Houston, and then the Rams. Mm. That last game against the Rams. Yeah, which I tell you, the Niners are one of those weird teams that they could get hot and do this. Albeit, though, this was a bad loss Uh for them against Seattle. Yeah. If they can somehow find the the magic and turn it on, they could sneak in there and make some noise. Like, that's the one thing about this team is they have great players, Mm -hmm. but consistency from both sides of the ball 
is where it really is lacking. Yeah, I'm that's set, that's the problem. I, I wouldn't. I don't envy them playing Cincinnati this week because who the hell wants to play Cincinnati? Uh, Atlanta, they should beat. Tennessee, they should beat. Houston, they should beat. The Rams, now that's where it gets interesting just because the Rams at that point theoretically should have clinched their playoff spot in the whole nine. Mm-hmm. You know, So they might be sitting starters unless they're still figuring out playoff seating and put their starters in. But that's a toss-up. It's definitely a toss-up, so we'll have to wait and see how that shakes up. And my leap, though. Holy shit. I had a feeling, like, Something about division games, you never know what's going to happen. Like we talked talked about with San Francisco and Seattle. Uh-huh. But there's one division that, honest to God, it doesn't matter who is playing. Mm-hmm. It's always a literal 50-50 chance. It doesn't matter who's hurt, who's healthy. Whenever they get on the field, you know it's going to be close. Let's we'll say the AFC North this year is like the NFC East last year. Somebody has to win this fucking thing. Exactly, because they are absolutely getting brutal going down the stretch here, and this game was no exception. Pittsburgh steals one from Baltimore. Uh, thank you, Pittsburgh, for helping put the Patriots in the number one AFC spot. Yes, look what you guys did. Look uh, what you did. Uh-huh. 20 to 19. Oof. This is an absolute wild game. Pat, you got the stats up? Yeah, so like you mentioned, uh, Pittsburgh won 20-19. Ben Roethlisberger, 21 of 31 for 236 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, Lamar Jackson, 23 of 37, 253 yards passing, one touchdown, one interception. A couple standout stats for you. Uh, You had Najee Harris, 21 carries, 71 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, Lamar on the ground had eight carries for 55 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, And then receiving, you had uh, Deontay Johnson. Have a fucking game, why don't you? Mm-hmm. Eight catches, 105 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Chase Claypool had two catches for 52 yards, no touchdowns. And on the flip side, you had Marquise Brown, uh, five catches, 55 yards, and no touchdowns. The one thing you got to remember with Pittsburgh is they will rally around players they think they're going to be leaving. Uh huh. It was rumored to be leaked out that Roethlisberger has mentioned that he will not be returning next season, that now, this is going to be it. Now, whether that means retirement or he's going to go to another team, don't know. Right, and we have to say it's strictly rumor, but the rumor is kind of taking up some steam. Yeah, and he hasn't, to my knowledge, and hashtag ODPHpod if I'm, if I'm wrong, hasn't come out and denied it. No, but you have to think at this stage in the game, and his body is it's beat beat up as all can be. He's played a very smash-mouth style of football, uh-huh. and father time catches up with you when you play that style and uh-huh. you take as many hits as you have. Yeah. Then now he's on that farewell tour. Can they sneak in the playoffs and do something? This is where the X factor becomes. Be- with Pittsburgh, you never know what you're going to get. On paper, they have a very talented offense. Their defense is always solid. Well, and plus you got Tomlin, who, if my recollection is correct, has never had a losing season in his entire career. That's a good question. I think he, he might have had one. Maybe one, if and if that. But that's how well the Steelers are ran as an organization, that they are usually right on the ball every year, and they're going to contend every year. The only X factor we know now is if Roethlisberger is gone, mm-hmm. you need to get a quarterback. You have Badly. no contingency plan for him. Well, because you got Mason Rudolph as your backup, and let's face it, he's not anything more than a backup. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they've got Dwayne Haskins, but the issue I heard tell from, from a friend was that you had the week Roethlisberger was going to be out because he was in COVID protocol. Dwayne Haskins got asked about potentially starting and learn, you know, learning the offensive playbook and the set. And from what this person told me, Dwayne Haskins told the media, "Why bother?" 
Yeah. So he's not the answer because he don't even want to be there. Exactly. It's so weird, that scenario, especially for the Steelers not being ready with a plan B. Like, that that just blows my mind. Uh, because, it's Yeah. Because they're usually on point with everything. They're such a next man up team. You know, they, they lost Plexico Burris years ago, and then they and then they had uh, another receiver step up. You know, they've just lost all these guys over the years. And somebody else has stepped up, maybe not immediately, but like relatively soon afterwards. So mm. the fact that they don't have anything ready behind him is, like you said, flabbergasting. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I fear that it's going to come back to haunt him this year because now going into this final stretch of the season, yeah. Pittsburgh is going to need Ben worse than anything to uh-huh. be on the field. And if he goes down for whatever whatever reason, not uh, wishing in this on yeah, him at all, yeah. their season's a wrap. It's well, a done. Well, in that tie where they had with the Detroit Lions, might ultimately, again, they tied last year, year before, and it fucked them over mm-hmm. again in the playoffs. The tie might fuck them over again because AFC North, Baltimore's in first place, 8-4. and four. Cincinnati's second place, 7-5. and five. Pittsburgh's in third at 6-5-1. and one, You know, and so then you look at the AFC uh, playoff standings where you've got Baltimore's in the three spot. Cincinnati's in the six. You've got Pittsburgh in the eight. You know, and just looking at Pittsburgh's schedule to close out the year, uh, they're at Minnesota this coming week. Then they've got Tennessee, Kansas City, Cleveland, and Baltimore. That's a bad stretch. And that Baltimore game is in Baltimore. And you know Baltimore is going to be fighting for playoff positioning too. And you got the Tennessee game. So Minnesota games on the road, Tennessee games at home. They're playing in Kansas City. Uh, on the day after Christmas, yikes! Mm. Uh, the Cleveland game is at home, and then the Baltimore game is in Baltimore. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a rough stretch. Yeah, that's why I say like I don't know how it's gonna shape up for them. I really don't. But for Pittsburgh, they're gonna need Ben to stay healthy. For Baltimore, they ain't got it any easier than Pittsburgh. I'll tell you this: Baltimore's currently in the th- in the three seed. What did I say? Three seed? Yeah, three mm. seed in the AFC. I could see them slipping. I'm looking at their schedule. Uh, they're in Cleveland this coming week. Then they're at home against Green Bay. Up to ball, uh, Cincinnati to play uh, the Bengals. And then they're at home against the Rams and at home against the Steelers. That is Yikes. not a good stretch for Baltimore. Yikes. And especially now losing to your rivals in Pittsburgh and giving up 17 points in the second half, let uh, alone the fourth quarter. Uh-huh. I'm not saying defensive collapse. I, I don't want to say that, but let's face it, you were in the driver's seat for most of this game. Yeah. This is a bad loss. 7-3 at halftime in favor of Baltimore, and then it was 10-3 to, uh, at the end of the third quarter Yeah, before the proverbial wheels fell off. Exactly. So Baltimore will bounce back. Rest assured, I have full faith in them. The, they're too good of a team not to. And Lamar Jackson, this is going to be a learning game for him because he knows now with that stretch coming down, Pittsburgh is not the Pittsburgh of old. No. You need to win these games. Uh-huh. This is much like the Bills needed to beat the Patriots. Baltimore needed to beat the Steelers. They didn't. So now you really have a tough task ahead of you, especially if you're trying to fight for playoff seeding. Uh-huh. And with especially with Cincinnati and Cleveland coming up, like you mentioned. Yeah. That is not an easy task to go through because Cleveland, let's face it, you never know what you're going to get out of them. Yeah, Cleveland currently 6 and 6 uh and they are in the 11th seed in the AFC. So they're still in it. They're still in the hunt. They're mathematically still in it, but to call up their schedule again though, pad for Baltimore. Uh-huh. You look at that final three-game stretch. Yeah. And that is, again, who? Yeah, so uh, their final three-game stretch is against Cincinnati in Cincinnati, mm-hmm. at home against the Rams, and then at home against the Steelers. Right. So let alone when Cleveland's right ahead of them there yep. for the month, you're facing your entire division. Yep. Like, 
This is where you need to solidify your positioning. You're facing your entire division on top of two of the better teams in the NFC. Exactly. Yikes. You can't afford a misstep. I'm sorry, like as, as crucial as this sounds, this is why those early games mean so much. And when you lose to bad teams early, it comes back to haunt you. Well, and just Lamar can be so inconsistent with his scoring that I think a coworker of mine I was talking to today put it best, you know, because he's got Lamar on his fantasy team. But he just week in and week out doesn't know if he, won't, he has, is going to start him just because you don't know if Lamar is going to get you three points in fantasy or 30 points in fantasy. Well, it's the one thing with Baltimore, they're not known for their offense. and yeah. that, But that's a valid, valid statement, though. With Lamar, you don't know. I would still side with him, though, because where he usually bounce backs is when he has a bad loss, he usually comes back strong. Yeah. But now is the question of who you're going to be facing because a lot of those teams that you're going to be going up against this next month are playoff-worthy teams. Yeah. Cleveland, listen, on paper they should be, but it hasn't worked out that way. I'm not saying they're completely out of it, but they need a lot of luck. Uh, let me pull up and see what the old line is here. Yeah, that's going to be the big factor here. Uh, not oh, there it is. Uh, current line is Cleveland by two and a half. Mm, well, they're they're home though. Yeah, that's yeah, that's how that plays out. But for Baltimore, you got to make those big statement wins because if you don't, this could be a very rough playoff scenario. Like there, I there'd see, be a I, lot, there'd be a lot of questions that need answered. Yeah, I see them still going, but seating wise, especially now with New England resurging. Yeah. They're, they're, they're the three right now, but I could very easily, like I said with their schedule, I could, vi- especially you're playing all your entire division, who are all still in the playoff hunt. This ain't, you know, a team that's in last place at like, you know, two and whatever mm-hmm. that's looking to just play sport. No, like they're still in the hunt. They're still going to play you hard. You know, th- they could very easily slide from that number three spot. Yeah, exactly. It's wild to see how this can all shape up. That's the beauty of the NFL because it can go any direction on any given Sunday. Yeah. But this is why the good teams need to win and the mediocre ones stay mediocre. So that being said, quick lap around the league. Dallas snuck one out against the New Orleans Saints 27-17. to mm-hmm. Tampa Bay did Tampa Bay things against Atlanta. Tom Brady. He's like 9-0, 10-0 against the Falcons. It's something absurd. It's something absurd. So the machine keeps rolling on there. Yep. Going to be a great game against Buffalo this coming week, though. So that'll be a true test. Arizona. Yeah. Danced around the Chicago Bears 33-22. to Kyler Murray, he was looking good in his return. Uh-huh. <sighs> the Los Angeles Chargers. The most inconsistent team in all of football decided to be consistent and put a whooping on Cincinnati, who was very banged up after this game. Yeah. 41-22. to Minnesota. Congratulations. Hey. You are going to be out of the playoffs. Hey. I think you should lose on. You should not be allowed in the playoffs on principle. Hey. Losing to Detroit, which kudos to our Lions fans. Shout out to Casey from the Nerdy Photographer Podcast. Listen, Detroit was gritty in their win. Uh, Jared Goff, kudos to you. Yeah, no, uh, hey, good, good for him. I got to also give a shout out to uh, I forget who it was, and I won't be able to pull it up. But you had the former Vikings head coach. You went really. The, the Lions, I never lost to the Lions, and this head coach was, in fact, like 8-0 against the Lions. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. But Detroit is got their win for the year, so, hey, congratulations. Maybe something will happen. Pop champagne. Yeah, I don't know. Indianapolis, the most boring team in football, did boring things. 31-0 to over Houston. Yeah. Miami defeated those New York football giants 20-9. to Philadelphia with the stash. Minshew Mania, baby. Minshew Mania ran wild. Solid jacket he had on postgame, too. Yo. The swag that guy has got off the charts. Uh Uh-huh. The playing ability to be determined, but it was enough to get by the Jets. 33-18. to 
Washington stole one away from those Las Vegas Raiders, 17 to 15. The Rams Yo. did Rams things. Put an old whole whooping. 37 to 7 over Jacksonville. Got to give a shout out to former Patriot running back Sony Michelle. 24 carries, 121 yards. Yo. What a wild week of Good NFL for action. What a wild week. So much to discuss going into the playoff push right now. So definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. What is your reactions to week 13 of the NFL? Let us know how your team is looking and where you think they're going to end up in the playoffs because now is crunch time. Every game matters that much more as we make that final push towards the Super Bowl. Let's discuss, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do you think you should go to jail if you throw a cookie at your girlfriend? Do you think it's cheating if an athlete fails a doping test, but the twist is only her boyfriend is juicing? Do you think 200 shots is too many to try to stop a robbery? What would you do if your parents burned $30,000 worth of your porn? Have you ever asked yourself this question? What the hell is wrong with Florida? Or we're the Rum Runners Podcast. We read the clickbait so you don't have to. We click those questionable links that pop up in your feed and let you know you want a new iPhone. Every week, we break down the weirdest and funniest of those articles. Find us on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, and just about anywhere you find podcasts. Video versions can be found on YouTube. Just search Rum Runners. That's R-U-M-R-U-N-N-A-S. We're also available on Twitter at RumPod and Instagram and Facebook at Rum Runners. With new episodes dropping every Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And time to talk a little UFC action. Yeah. It's been a hot minute, but we are back with a solid card this Saturday night, live from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. UFC 269. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Pad, let's break it down, shall we? Yeah, so uh, looking at the uh, preliminary card taking place on ESPN+, Plus, uh, not going to go through every point, but just a couple worth mentioning. Uh, in the Bantamweight division, you've got Dominic Cruz taking on Pedro Munoz. Well, Cruz, I mean, obviously, longtime king of the Bantamweights. It's always great to see him return. Yeah. Because, obviously, he's been injury-plagued yeah. for a long time now. Munoz... This should be a good scrap. I mean, Munoz is a solid contender, so I do like Dominic in this, but this is pretty even, though, on the scoring page. Yeah, so in 26 professional matches, uh, Cruz has a record of 23-3. Uh, he won his last fight against Casey Kenny by split decision. That was in uh, March of this year. Uh, and then on the flip side, you've got Pedro Munoz, who in 26 professional matches has a record of 19-6-1. and uh, He lost his last matchup uh, by unanimous decision to one Jose, although that was back in August. Yeah, so this should be a little fun one to start off the night. So, uh-huh. I, But I do like Cruz by decision, though. Yeah, I'm going to say the same thing. Uh, and then in your main event of the preliminary card, uh, in the featherweight division, you've got Josh Emmett taking on Dan Ige. Emmett can throw some hands. Ige is no joke either. No. This is a pretty solid card, too, or a solid matchup. I do like Emmett slightly more. Uh, not necessarily like I, I feel like a lock. Yeah. But this one's going to be a very back and forth. I do like Emmett, though. I'm going to take him with stoppage, though. Yeah, so you've got in 18 professional matches, uh, Emmett has a record of 16-2. and two. Mm-hmm. He's on a three-fight win streak, uh, defeating Michael Johnson by knockout back in March of 2019. Uh, Mursad uh, Bektik uh, by TKO. That was back in July of 2019. And then Shane Burgos by unanimous decision. That was back in June of 2020. Uh, so, and then on the flip side, Ige in 19 professional matches has a record of 15 and four lost his last fight, uh, by unanimous decision against Chan Sung Jung. Yeah. So that being said, I do like Emmett. Should, yeah. Should be a fun one though. Yeah. It should be interesting, especially with, it's a bit of a layoff for, uh, Emmett. So we'll see how, if he's able to pull it off and if ring rust is a factor. Absolutely. 
Uh, yeah, but so then in the main event, uh, a couple of matches worth mentioning. Uh, you've got in the bantamweight division opening the card, uh, Raul and Paiva taking on Sean O'Malley. So that'll be definitely one to check out for. Uh, next up in the flyweight division, you've got Kai Car France taking on Cody Garbrandt. Yeah, so this one is kind of interesting because Cody Garbrandt usually fights at bantamweight. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is known for your punching power? The heavier you are, the stronger the hits are. Usually. So for Garbrandt to go down to flyweight, I do find this being, one, a smart move for his career because sure. he's kind of been back and forth in the bantamweight division. But how much weight is going to be taken off your power punches? Uh-huh. That's the key factor that I think he's going to struggle with in this one. Cara France is very solid all around. I like his nickname. His nickname is Don't Blink. Exactly. It's a great nickname. He's going to step up. He'll stay in the pocket with Garbrandt for a little bit. But I think when the smoke is all cleared, Cara France is going to sneak this one out. This is going to be an upset. I think that Garbrandt dropping weight, it's tough to say because the flyweight division is still looking for that breakout superstar, even though their division is now finally starting to get some. Uh Garbrandt definitely draws a lot of headlines. He's much like Sean O'Malley, who's on the card, too. He's one of those characters that you will watch on when they're fighting. Yeah. Because Garbrandt is definitely a character. He'll step up and do oh, some yeah. of the moves. Uh, so in 32 professional matches, uh, Kai Car France has a record of 22-9-1. and one. Uh, Before he – so he's won his last fight against uh, Rogerio uh Von Torin via knockout that was back in March. Lost his fight before that to Brandon uh, Royval by submission uh, that was back in September of 2020. Won his fight against Tyson Nam by unanimous decision in February of 2020. Lost to Brandon Moreno by unanimous decision back in December of 2019. Prior to that, he was on an eight-fight win streak. Uh, so that'll definitely be interesting to see. And then you've got Cody Garbrandt, who in 16 professional matches has a record of 12 and four. Lost his last fight by by unanimous decision to Rob Font that was back in May. Mm. Uh, uh, prior to that, he won his uh, fight against uh, Rafael Asukayo, uh by knockout. That was back in June of 2020. And prior to that, he was on a three-fight losing streak, losing to Pedro Munoz by knockout in 2019, TJ Dillashaw by knockout in uh, 2018, and then TJ Dillashaw again by knockout in uh, 2017. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing about Garbrandt. You know what you're going to get. You're not going to get a ground game. You're not going to get anything. He's going to stand in the pocket and no. either knock out or get no, knocked out. No, I'm looking at uh, his bre- – professional match breakdown 10 wins by knockout two by decision uh zero by submission yeah so you know what you're gonna get with this so but i do like Carl france sneaking one out on him i'm thinking the same thing that's the thing it's just when you cut that much weight to drop down that takes away from your punching power and that's your bread and butter check the you know expiration date that's uh-huh. that's what i say i worry about that it's not like he's gonna struggle at this weight class but i think is, Car- say, is the same amount of power gonna be able to be put behind it Probably yeah, not. That's that's the big X factor, and I just don't think it's going to happen. I think France is going to get the upset on this one. Then we have a very solid welterweight fight. Yeah, that's uh, between Jeff Neal and Santiago uh, Pazabibo. Yes, so this one is going to be solid. I mean, like I, I can't stress this enough. Both fighters are very good in the cage. None really jump out and give you the wow factor. Yeah. I, I will give this slight nod to Neal, though. Okay. He's very technical. Yeah. I don't want to say the word boring. Sure. Because I don't think that's fair. But when you are solid in every aspect of MMA, as he is, he's not somebody that goes and cuts wild promos. He's not somebody that's a Colby Covington, Conor McGregor-esque. He will go in there. He will do his job in the cage. Yeah. And we'll see what happens. Santiago is much like the same way, but I know that he is more of a risk taker. And I think that's where Neil is going to catch him with something. 
So I do like Neil via decision or, or via um. Uh, he'll get the win one way or another. I, okay. I, I don't know exactly how, if it's going to be stoppage or submission, but he'll get it one way or another on him. Uh, so in 17 professional matches, uh, Neil has a record of 13-4. and four. Uh, He's on a two-fight losing streak, lo- losing streak, losing to Neil Magny by unanimous decision back in May, uh, and then losing by unanimous decision again to Stephen Thompson back in December of 2020. Prior to that, he was on a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven-fight win streak, uh, knocking out Mike Perry, knocking out Nico Price, uh, unanimous decision win against Bilal Hamed, uh, just to name a few. Uh, and then on the flip side, you've got Santiago, who in 32 professional matches has a record of 28 and four. It's on a one fight losing, uh, excuse me, one fight winning streak, uh, winning by unanimous decision against uh, Miguel Baizea at a fight night on it back in June. Lost to Li Jinglang uh, by knockout in January. Prior to that, he was on a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven fight win streak, uh, beating Neil Mag. Magny by knockout, uh, unanimous decision against Mike Perry, knocking out Gunnar Nelson. Uh, so, I'm, you know what? I'm going to have to say uh, Santiago on this one. Okay. No, like I said, it could go either way. I just, I know Neil sure. is definitely more solid, and he just, he's much like Leon Edwards in that same kind of aspect. All right. They're not guys that are going to generate the needle, but mm-hmm. when you get them in the cage, they're going to perform. So, yeah. this one should be a solid one, though, nevertheless. Yeah. Solid is the key yeah. word for that. Uh, next up is the co-main event of the evening. This is for the Women's Bantamweight Championship, or you've got Amanda Nunes defending her belt against Juliana Pena. All right, so you're going against the GOAT here. The legend killer. <laughs> yeah, Amanda Nunez going in to defend her title. Pena good, is, good it, luck, kid. is a great story. Uh, I know uh, to the Ultimate Fighter. Uh-huh. Uh, unfortunately was injured yep during or after it um and has worked her way back into title contention in the bantamweight division so this unfortunately i just don't know if anybody can beat nunez i don't, I, I, I don't think so i'm sorry you talk about the people that she has fought <laughs> oh i got i got them right here break it down uh, uh so uh Ron, um, shana baszler who might sound familiar to you uh wwe folks beat shana baszler Valentina Shevchenko, beat her. Mm-hmm. Misha Tate, submitted her. Ronda Rousey, knocked her ass out. Valentina Shevchenko, split decision, win. Uh, Raquel Pennington, knocked her ass out. Chris Cyborg, knocked her ass out. Holly Holm, knocked her ass out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jermaine Durandame, uh, unanimous decision, win. Megan Anderson, submission with a reverse triangle armbar, like... In thir- 25 professional matches, Amanda Nunes has a record of 21-4, and four, 12 wins by knockout, four by submission, four by decision, and her four losses, two are by knockout, one by submission, one by decision. She has not lost a fight since Kat Zingano knocked her out at UFC 178 in September 27th of 2014. Yeah. Nunes is on a whole different level. Pena, I'm I'm rooting for just for the sense of just her her comeback story. I'm rooting for Pena just for the sense of like having a good fight. Yeah, and I think that she will definitely be in this one. Albeit though, you can't go against the goat. You can't beat the legend killer. I'm sorry. Like I'm sorry. I think Nunez is going to retire with the belts. She is just on such a different level than f- most fighters that are doing it, men or women. She is so laser sharp on her striking she's well-rounded in every single aspect of the mma it is tough to say that anybody can even come near her right now and she's just getting better every fight like it's that point when you see the greats go through mma 
And it's just like, well, who is this? Is this person really competition for them? Amanda Nunes is so damn good. She's champ champ, as we know. Champion of bantamweight, champion of featherweight. She's so damn good that she's cleaned down an entire division of featherweight that is blank on UFC.com slash rankings. You don't believe me, folks. You can go there yourself. I'm showing Ken the computer screen. Yeah. You know, you've got an entire list of ranking for the uh, bantamweight division. But then you go look right to the right. Same uh, row. Women's featherweight. Amanda Nunes. Champion. There is nobody listed underneath her. Because the only challenger that she had is not fighting in there, and that's Chris Cyborg. Yeah. Which I still will say Dana White really messed that one up because that would have been box office for that rematch. Oh, I agree with you. So unless Hell Freeze is over next year, and hey, let's face it, 2022 could have a lot of storylines. been a weird couple of years. Exactly. Never say never, but until further notice, this is Nunez. Yeah. I, I just hope we get a good performance out of Pena. Uh because you know what? That's pretty much all I'm really expecting on this. I'll tell you this. Uh, Amanda Nunes, I am impressed with your performance. Yes. Facts all day. Now we get to the main event. Yeah, so this is for the lightweight uh, division championship where Charles Oliveira is defending his belt against Dustin Poirier. Uh, Oliveira, in 40 professional matches, has a record of 31 wins, 8 losses, 1 no contest. He is on a holy shit. Uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 fight win streak, knocking out Michael Chandler in his last fight, unanimous decision win against Tony Ferguson, submitting Kevin Lee, knocking out Jared Gordon, knocking out Nick Lentz, uh, Anaconda choke win against David Timur, uh, some rear naked choke win against Jim Miller, rear naked choke win against uh, Chris Giagos, and then a guillotine choke against Clay Guida. So the man only fights for knockout or submissions, very few decisions. Uh, And on the flip side, you've got Dustin Poirier, who in 35 professional matches has a record of 28 wins, six losses, one no contest, uh, is on a three-fight win streak uh, with the unanimous decision win against Dan Hooker in 2020, knockout win against Conor McGregor in January of this year, and then a knock TKO with a doctor stoppage against Conor McGregor in July. Well, this is box office written all over it. Uh Uh-huh. Charles Oliveira, as Pat alluded to, is on a nine-fight win streak. He finally got his opportunity for the title and took it, and it's long overdue. Oliveira is a submission machine. Uh, he did with his uh, submission win against Chris uh, Giagos back in 2018. Broke the UFC record for most submission wins with 11. Yes, and he is still in, in the prime of his career. The dude's got 19 submission wins for his career. Yeah. Oh, oh, shit. He's ridiculously good, and he flies under the radar because, much like certain other fighters, he's not a Conor McGregor. He's not going to get out there and cut some wild-ass promo. He is going to go in there and do his job, and he is very, very good at it. Well, fuck, he's a third-degree black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Fuck. It, exactly, and now he's learning striking, which is scary. So I expect Oliveira to have a great performance. On the other side of the cage, though, Dustin Poirier is no joke. Uh, On a stellar rise in his career lately. Yes, he's having a nice little renaissance on the back end of his career because he's he's got a lot of tread on his tires. There's there's no shame in saying that. The one thing that you always know if you watch a Dustin Poirier fight is he will make it a fight. Uh He always shows up. He always pushes the pace. He's always 
keeping you engaged with the action. No, yeah, I mean, uh, prior to the three fights I mentioned, he lost his fight, uh, lost the fight against Habib uh, via submission. Uh, before that, uh, beat Max Holloway uh, by unanimous decision, fight of the night. Mm-hmm. Uh, beat Eddie Alvarez uh, by TKO, performance of the night. Uh, beat Justin Gaethje with a TKO for fight of the night. Uh, then he beat Anthony Pettis with submission for another fight of the night. So, listen, the dude might not be real sexy or like a bunch of highlights, but, hey, fight's real good. Well, ever since he took out Conor McGregor, his stock has risen. I mean, that's the one good, good, better, and different thing that you feel about Conor yeah. is once you fight him, your stock rises in the company. Facts. So Poirier has been riding that train to his title shot now. I mean, this could go a lot of different directions. Poirier is well-rounded on every single aspect as well. But we have to make a decision here. So, Pad, uh-huh. who are you taking in this one? I'm going to take Oliveira. Listen, no, no disrespect against Dustin Poirier. You know, he's very good. Some of the folks I mentioned he's beaten are very good fighters. But just Oliveira is on a whole other different level. You know, his last loss was against Paul Felder, who knocked him out in December of 2017. Mm-hmm. And, and while I think uh, Poirier is a better fighter than Paul Felder, you know, I don't think he's going to be able to get the job done. Oliver is just on a different level right now, and the confidence that he has in the cage is just beaming. Because Oliveira is very much a different fighter than Conor McGregor in more than just the obvious ways. Conor ain't, you know, Oliveira ain't buying into his own bullshit like Conor does. Mm-hmm. Oliveira is very focused. He ain't worried about any of the outside goings on with his personal life, any business ventures he might be going into, family matters or whatever. He's very focused on what he's doing. He's not going to let the outside stuff, you know, uh, distract him. Since you have fighters' records on your computer screen right now. I do. How long ago was it that Poirier fought the Korean zombie? Oh, uh, that one was. Uh, the Chan Sung Jung loss was, a, he lost by, uh, so Poirier lost by a technical submission. The uh, often used Barbaro choke, mm-hmm. uh, that was on May 15th of 2012. So that was, that was so long ago, that was a UFC on Fuel TV card. Yes. Why bring that card up? is I think that's going to be a lot of what you're going to see in this fight. Okay. That fight was very back and forth. A lot of submission attempts, a lot of groundwork, a lot of striking. It was a fight of the night. It, it did earn fight of the night, and the fight uh, was called uh, in one minutes and seven seconds into the fourth round. Yeah, because the Korean zombie of memory serves me right, put on a rear naked choke, and also did worked an arm bar into it. So, it, like, he transitioned to what they said yeah. the, the other style choke was. The barbell choke. Yeah, it was absolutely insane. I fully see this fight going the same way. Sure. I think this is going to go into deep water. I think you're going to see this going into the fourth round, and I think Oliveira is going to wind up getting a submission. Whether it's it's Poirier passing out or tapping out, this is going to be end still because I think Oliveira is just that much focused. Poirier, listen, he's been in this picture before, hasn't really worked out in his favor more times than not. But he's going to be up against a guy that I think is just wants it worse than he does. Poirier has done a lot, and he knows he's got another big money fight if he wants it with Connor eventually. Yeah, yeah. It just depends if he wants to go fight Connor again. He doesn't have to. Yeah, but. I, I think it's going to end up being a submission win for Oliver, and I think it's going to ultimately end up being the fourth round. But I think, you know, Poirier uh, is going to be able to put up a decent fight against Oliver's ground game because he did, let's let's not forget, he did go up against Habib, who is a monster on the ground. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you can only get better from that. But Oliver is just so well-versed oh, yeah. in that Brazilian jiu-jitsu that Poirier makes one small error, just like uh-huh. a flinch wrong, and he's going to be done. That's why I say I like Oliveira in this, and then 
Oh, it does not get any easier in that lightweight division moving forward. No. But we're here to talk about it. So, obviously, we have given you our picks for UFC 269. Now we want to hear yours. Drop it on us at hashtag ODPHpod. Who you got winning the lightweight title? Is anybody taking the belt from Amanda Nunez? What do you think of the rest of the card? Let us discuss UFC 269 on social media. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Why can't he put you in the shark? Because you can't grapple a ghost. <laughs> Fucking obviously. You can't, he's a ghost. You can't grapple a ghost. Beans, cool. I can't. There's already a dead body involved. Exactly. Hey, fool. Sometimes when you do some crime, people die. And it's okay. We're the Broken Lords. We provide the finest actual play RPG-related nonsense this side of the internet. Follow us on Twitter at Lords Broken. And give us a listen on any major podcasting platform. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And time to talk some wrestling. Wrestling. Well, this past Sunday was the cherry on the proverbial wrestling Sunday that was this past week in the land of professional wrestling. Mm -hmm. A lot of great events were going down. And if you listen to 607TWS, which I hope you do, we did a very deep dive into all the amazing action that was from this past week, including Game Changer Wrestling, So Alive, the best card of 2021 at OD Parlay Hour if you want to debate about that, but you're going to lose that argument. I'm sorry. However, we are going to recap the WWE NXT War Games because Pat is here in studio. Yes. I know he's got a lot of feelings about this. Because he is team black and gold all day, every day. For now. So let us break it down about how the 2.0 class did on its first moments in prime time, shall we? Yeah, so as Ken mentioned, uh, War Games took place uh, this past Sunday on the Peacock Network. You know, and, and I've always looked forward to War Games since its inception with NXT. You know, they've always been good in some high-quality moments and just absolutely nuts. You know, from Kevin Owens returning unexpectedly, you know, a couple of years ago to, you know, Pat McAfee having a stellar performance in the Undisputed Era having their run. You know, they're always fun to watch, you know, so I was really looking forward and excited to, and we're going to break down the card and break down the matches and give our thoughts and opinions on some of those matches. Uh, the first matchup you had on the card uh, was the women's uh, war game match. So this was uh, Cora Jade, Io Shirai, Kaylee Ray, and Raquel Gonzalez taking on uh, Dakota Kai, Gigi Dolan, uh, JC Jane, and Mandy Rose, uh, a.k.a. Toxic Attraction. Uh, and you had the faces, Cora Jade, Io Shirai, Kaylee Ray, and Raquel Gonzalez emerge victorious, winning in 31 minutes and 25 seconds. Solid match to open the card. Yeah. I will say that. Uh, Cora Jade, if she was hurt or she wasn't hurt, the biggest highlight from this match is Io Shirai popped her shoulder back in place. That was nuts. In an absolutely wild-ass moment that really kind of set the tone for the night, in my opinion, because if you really weren't sure if it was fake or real, mm -hmm. they did a great job about doing this because EO was that hell-bent in high water that nobody was leaving that cage in one piece. I think it was legit just because, you know, in past instances with injuries, we've always been able to kind of tell when they're when their storyline or they're fake just by the way the the uh announcers and the commentators are talking about it that mm. they're just kind of like nonchalant about it but like when this happened they were like oh i i think she just popped her shoulder back into play like they almost didn't expect it it, mm. it was you know I, it's almost like when uh, rollins got attacked on raw a couple weeks ago where uh byron saxon was like wait what 
you yeah. know, when that happened, you know, one of those kind of moments. So I think it was legit. It, it definitely looked at it, and if it was a storyline purpose, it definitely did its job, too. I mean, that was the one good thing about this is you really didn't know. Yeah. However, though, for being the first match of the night, uh-huh. it was solid. A couple mistakes here and there. Mandy, yeah. Mandy Rose missing a V-trigger. Yeah. I mean, it was bad. Like, yeah. there was no way to kind of sugarcoat that. It was bad, but she was not the MVP of that night. Uh, this match, well, actually, it was Gigi Dolan. Yeah, I would say so, yeah. She looked fantastic in this match. But and when it was all said and done, the faces won. Yeah. So, it, like I say, solid match, nothing really super over the top. Yeah. Not, but the highlight was Io Shirai. And like I say, if that was the, the setting pace car for the, mm-hmm. for the night, you kind of knew what to expect because obviously with NXT now transitioning to the 2.0, version that you see on TV now since September, this has been met with a lot of mixed reviews. I yeah. talked about this on Blogs Count Anywhere. You have a lot of new superstars. They're really going to have to sell this new brand and make it worthwhile. This opening match, you kind of had a feeling this is going to be a lot of storylines driven instead of wrestling action. Yeah. Wasn't the worst thing to start with, but no. then we went to the next match, and holy shit. Yeah, no, I thing I will say with the women's war game match, you know, solid match, you know, Ended a little abruptly from it. I'm like, oh, shit, okay, it's over. Uh, I also will say, I got to give credit to whoever designed the ring and the setup. I dug having the cages for the War Games teams uh, behind the crowd and having them come through the crowd. That was awesome. Yeah, it definitely was. Dug that. Uh, but uh, next matchup was for the NXT Tag Team titles where you had uh, Fabian Igner and uh, Marcel Barthel, a.k.a. Uh, Imperium, taking on the, the makeshift team of Kyle O'Reilly and Von Wagner. Uh, and you had uh, Imperium emerge victorious, pinning O'Reilly and Von Wagner in 14 minutes and 48 seconds, and that was probably 10 minutes too long. All right. Uh, let me see if I can clean this up. Oh, boy. Von Wagner is not ready for prime time, in my opinion. He has a lot of room to grow. He's not ready for the spotlight. He actually brought this match down to where it should not be in this crowd. Usually, I mean, the second match is the come down match if you look, if you watch any wrestling card. Sure. But, my God, he just sunk this because nothing he was doing was getting over with the crowd. He looked very awkward in this match, like very uncomfortable. Yeah. That I think that for being the first time in real prime time, and I understand, okay, NXT is on TV, blah, blah, blah. There's a difference when you're on TV and there's a difference when it's a pay-per-view slash event. Yeah. That is a war games. Yep. War games. I know I'm going to yell that because I didn't say that like that. This is where you really need to step your game up, and unfortunately, he didn't. Unfortunately, he looked very, very bad. Yeah. Everybody else in this match did their job. Imperium is always solid. Oh, my God, yeah. But when you bring them down, you know there's a problem. It's when Kyle O'Reilly got in there with Fabian Eichner, that's when the match really Uh felt like it was a match. Like, okay, Uh this is actually going to turn into something. Yeah. But once Von Wagner got more involved, this was just Bad. Yeah, no, I, I always enjoy Imperium matches. I'm not the biggest Imperium fan. I love their entrance, mm-hmm. you know, but I I know typically when I see Imperium coming, I'm like, oh, shit, we're in for a great match. But, I, you know, I remember halfway through this match going, this is just kind of meh. You know, it's, it's not up to the usual standards I see from Imperium, and I agree with you. I think they were coming down to Von Wagner's level, which is fucking atrocious. You know, Kyle O'Reilly did his best he could selling like nobody's goddamn business. You know, and and going on with that, but Von Wagner really pulled this match down, and I don't understand what they see in him. You know, I'm looking at his profile on ProFightDB.com, 
where he's got 41 matches under his belt, you know, according to them. And now this isn't counting indies or anything. So who's to say, you know, in one pay-per-view, but he's got, you know, matches here listed way back uh, as far as uh, NXT West Palm Beach show in May of 2019. So we're now, you know, two years into this whole experiment and this is the best you got. Well, you have to also look at it like this. Vince McMahon has taken a more controlling interest of NXT. Sure. And he does have a prototype he likes to push on his programming. He likes big guys, huge musculars, not exactly the wrestling ability per se compared to somebody else. Sure. But this is the st- this is the blueprint that he's been running with for years. So you know that he is definitely high on this kid. And it's not to say he might not find his way down the road. But from the first impression, ah, uh, this is not a good look, especially if this guy is going to be one of your featured players on your programming. No. And especially with the benchmark that has been set with 2.0. You can't have him uh, have that bad a performance and look that generic. Yeah. I hate saying that, yeah. but there but the moveset was basically create a wrestler from your favorite video game. You know, I'm always willing to give the new guys the benefit of the doubt sure. and give them some time, you know, and really and try to impress me. You know, Cameron Grimes, I wasn't sold on him. I saw him get like a stomp, you know, instant off the bell win. You know, I was like, oh, shit, that's impressive. But it took a while for me to get into, you know, Cameron Grimes. I'm not seeing anything that's like, oh, hey, there's a glimmer of light with this. I might end up, but I just don't see anything with him. No, he's going to have to do a massive turnaround. I know after the the match, he already tipped off. He was going to go after Kyle O'Reilly, which that was such a bad look, too. And now on this coming NXT he is going to have a cage match with Kyle O'Reilly. Yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, brace yourself because he's going over Kyle O'Reilly. Kyle O'Reilly is going to do a better sell job than Dolph Ziggler has in a few years. I, and that's saying something. Kyle O'Reilly's really going to have to sell the shit out of this because I just can't see Von Wagner coming in because let's, let's not beat around the bush. Kyle O'Reilly's contract is coming up here soon. Mm-hmm. You know, for all intents and purposes, I think the majority of folks are thinking he's gone. He's going to end up probably in AEW, you know, with Adam Cole and, and Bobby Fish, you know. But so in, in all likelihood, he's going to get the squash, beat the shit out of him tonight on NXT. But I don't think Von Wett, he's going to have to really sell and make this convincing. And I don't know if he can, he can sell with the best of them, mm-hmm. you know. But I don't think he can sell enough to make it convincing that Von Wagner beat the shit out of him that he left. Well, I think you're going to have to really focus on his body language. And what I mean by this, and we'll go over this as we keep discussing matches, because we did this on the live stream, and we did this on 607TWS this week, too. The language that the veterans of NXT are having for these new recruits Uh is very telling and very negative. That there is a complete disconnect of being on the same page yep and you can tell who likes working with who just from the perception is reality this uh-huh. is my opinion of this but everybody i've talked to has had the same idea uh-huh there is a massive disconnect when you look at the body language and how they're acting towards each other yeah i would say because out of the five matches of this in this card i would say there's two matches on this card where the participants got along with each other the opening card mm-hmm. the opening match and then the co and then the co-main yes I fully agree with you on that because when you take a look at the how the setup is for this card, there's definitely something wrong in NXT. Uh-huh. And it's very, very blatantly obvious that the old school does not give two you-know-whats about the new school. Nope. Nevertheless, 
We go on to another prime example of this. Yeah, so the next matchup was between Duke Hudson and Cameron Grimes. To a, the moon! In a hair versus hair match where the loser would have to shave their head bald. Uh, the entire uh, WWE uh, wrestling crew, you know, on the main roster that was familiar with Duke Hudson wanted to see him bald. I know, uh, I know, uh, Rhea Ripley partic- in particular wanted to see uh, Duke Hudson bald because she said he would look like a fried egg. Uh, <laughs> but you had Cameron Grimes emerge victorious, uh, pinning Duke Hudson in 10 minutes and 18 seconds. Uh, and I'm not quite sure if he fully got his head shaved. I know they did a the little strip down the middle, but like, I don't I've yet to see an actual photo if he's fully bald. We'll see this Tuesday. But either way, you talk about somebody else that wasn't ready for primetime. Duke Hudson, not uh-huh. ready. No. He did his best Wade Barrett impression, and yeah. it just failed completely. And, and you could tell Cameron Grimes was not happy with him. Well, during this match, there is an abdominal stretch that is put on, and Hudson scratches yep. Cameron Grimes. Now, you can say it's part of the moves, whatever. This is legit, and this almost caused him to bleed. Yeah. Like, that's how bad it was. So when the match is still going on, you know that they're just not on the same page either. Hudson's offense looked very basic, to say the least. Yeah. Nothing about him really stood out, except there he was just, you know, Wade Barrett light uh-huh. and just not as good. And then finally Cameron Grimes sneaks the win out, thank God, because if they shaved him, there goes the gimmick. Yep. There goes everything that you build up with Cameron Grimes, who's one of your more entertaining characters on NXT. Yeah. And then when they go to the chair, uh-huh. because they remember it's war games. They have two wrestling rings set up. Yep. One ring during this match had a barber's chair in it. Yep. And Cameron Grimes hits his double stomp, which is his finisher on Duke Hudson to get him in the chair because he's trying to fight to save his hair. Uh-huh. And I legit think he hit, uh-huh. Hudson and gave him a receipt for those scratches. I think the same thing. Yeah, because he busted his right eye open uh-huh. very badly. There's a little extra force behind that one. Yep. And this is another case example where we're saying that old school NXT does not give a you-know-what about that new school. This, this was kind of in the same vein of when Braun was facing Brock and Braun legit hit Brock. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was intentional, but he legit hit Brock, and Brock came back and almost knocked Braun off his feet. Yeah. This is just another example, too. Yeah, the, the, somebody's not ready for prime time, and, no. Hudson, and Hudson definitely is not ready, in my opinion. No, hard hard not ready. Next up. Uh, was the co-main event of the evening. This was for the NXT Cruiserweight Championship, where you had Roderick Strong defending his belt against Joe Gacy, uh, and you had Roderick Strong emerge victorious, pinning Joe Gacy in 8 minutes and 28 seconds. This is the other match that I say. The two wrestlers don't hate each other. No, no. Gacy is definitely over with the old school. Yeah. Like, and I think that it just goes to show he's taken this character about being the inclusive one, um, you know, whatever you want to say about it. I know it's extremely polarizing. It's great, in my opinion. Yeah, like I say, I think it's it's great because it's different. Yeah. But I know a lot of people don't like it. I know a lot of people are very negative towards it. And listen, you're entitled to your opinion. I'm not arguing with you about it. But you have to give Gacy respect that he's ran with this gimmick and made it into something. Uh-huh. It is. He's on TV, so he's featured, so you can't say he's, you know, getting quote-unquote buried by it. Yeah. And this match was a solid match with two professionals that, listen, Roddy is very solid when he's in the ring. Diamond Mine, you can still say jury is out on if yeah, it's over or not. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And especially when they decided to waive the 215 weight limit for – or 205 weight limit for – 
the belt. Yeah. This worked out in the favor. It was a good story match. It, it definitely said what they needed to do. And Gacy did not look the worst for wear for no, it. Def- so. Definitely uh, get Joe came out looking strong. He also had Harlan there ringside who got involved a little bit, you know, so build up that dynamic. No, it was a good match. No, it definitely served the purpose it needed to. Yeah. Now to the main event. Yeah, so this was the men's war game match where you had uh, Team Black and Gold, Johnny Gargano, L.A. Knight, Pete Dunne, and Tommaso Ciampa taking on the team of 2.0, that being Braun Breaker, Carmelo Hayes, uh, Grayson Waller, and Tony D'Angelo. Uh, and you had Team 2.0 emerge victorious, pinning uh, the Black and Gold in 37 minutes and 32 seconds. Well, a couple things we have to talk about. Yeah. This is rumored to be Johnny Gargano's last match in NXT, mm-hmm. possibly WWE. Yeah, we do know that he did sign a, a week extension, a la Adam Cole, when his contract ran out. Yep, we know that on this next coming NXT, he is going to be addressing the crowd about his future. I do have my speculation about what it's going to be. Yeah, and I think that he is good. He's gone. He's leaving NXT. He's leaving WWE. I think that he's going to take his his chances on the indies. Okay. I don't think he goes to the main roster. I know that that's a rumor going around. I would be surprised if he did because of his size and stature is not usually favored too well on sure. the main roster. It, sure. It is what it is, folks. So I think that he'd be better suited to go into the indies where he does love to wrestle. I know that he would definitely tear it up right now. And as we've discussed many times on here and on 607TWS, the indie scene is absolutely exploding right now. It's a perfect time to get into it that you can make a lot of money and not have to be AEW or WWE to be successful. Yeah. So that being said, Gargano came out in a time variant of his former costumes. Which was great. Which was fantastic. Yeah. And he came to the ring with Rebel Heart, his old music going on. The crowd was losing it. Started off against Carmelo Hayes, who had his best performance in NXT thus far. Impressed the hell out of me. Yeah. Carmelo Hayes is going to be a star. It's just he... He is somebody that is ahead of the curve compared to some of his other contemporaries uh-huh. on the on the brand right now. It's just a matter of time before he gets it, and when he gets it, he's going to be really, really good. Oh, yeah. And then you take a look at everybody else that was involved in this match, and for being the new school, new blood, whatever you want to define it as, there was one man that you can definitely tell oh. struck the ire Holy. of Team Black and Gold. Holy fuck. And that is Grayson Waller. I don't know what this man did, whether he like shit in someone's cereal for breakfast one morning, whether he took somebody's parking space, or, you know, I don't know what the hell he did, but he pissed somebody off. Mm-hmm. Because I get it's 2.0, I get he's one of the newer guys, but the amount of abuse he was getting put through between Dunn, Champa, I think LA Knight had a couple of run-ins with him. Like I think everybody on mm-hmm. on Black and Gold got their run-in at Grayson Waller. You know, I can understand it if it was a couple of things here or there, but you know, and I'm not condemning her, not, you know, saying, oh, they shouldn't have done like I'm just sitting here looking at what I saw. Waller did something. The, the fact that Pete Dunn basically wanted to rip him apart. And it was just, yo. Something happened on the way there we don't know about, but you can tell by the body language. And yet again, this is something that stood out like a sore thumb. Grayson Waller pissed somebody off. Uh Uh-huh. This had Daniel Pewter vibes. Do you remember who Daniel Pewter was? No. Way back when, when Tough Enough was uh, a competition instead of a wrestling show. Yeah. He came in, uh, had a big MMA background, and did not really rub the guys in the locker room right. In fact, uh, memory serves me. He almost hurt Kurt Angle. Oh, okay. And he got into the Royal Rumble, and you should look it up. And the amount of chops he took, wow, okay. he got he got 
his ass kicked that night. Put it to you this way. If he gets put in a match with Roddy and Roddy starts chopping the shit out of him, we know, we'll really know he did something. Yeah, go search on YouTube. I mean, it's it's very blatant about him in the Royal yeah, Rumble and just yeah. the ass whooping he got. Some, something happened. You know, like I said, I can understand spots and, and being the focus or whatever, but, like, just the amount he got focused on specifically, you cannot sit there and tell me, oh, there's nothing to it. Yeah, no, there was there was a little something, a little payback on that. For whatever reason, that's allegedly because that's how it looked on screen. Perception is reality, folks. And the amount of ass-kicking that kid got was ridiculous. Pete Dunne was smiling during all this match. He lo- he, he chose violence. Oh, he did. He was happy. He tried breaking uh, Grayson Waller's fingers through the damn cage. More than once. Uh-huh. In fact, he even set up a wild trash can spot on his fingers too. Oh my god, how good was that one trash can spot where the trash can got put on the guy, and then he went, and then whoever was, I can't, I think it was either Chow, no, it was was it La Knight. Mm. I think it was La Knight. Grabbed the garbage can lid, threw that aside, grabbed the Kendall stick, and then grabbed the garbage can and smacked the garbage can. That was great. Yeah, La Knight was having a field day too. So, and it was like a kid in a candy store. You have to think about it too, because these guys have really come up through NXT, and I know La Knight is relatively new. But he is as old school as it gets from oh, his, yeah. from his you know he's been on the indies before he he gets it, and he came in there with a little chip on his shoulder and he was implementing his will as we like to say for our UFC talk. Yeah. At the end of the day, though, Team 2.0 does get the win. Braun Breaker leads his team to victory. Yeah. Gets the pin over Tommaso Ciampa. And then after the match, we get uh, if you look on social media. Mm-hmm. Johnny Gargano did give a post-match speech to the crowd, yep. thanking them and you know for everything they've done for him in NXT, and says that he's going to wrestle tonight as we are recording, or yep. he's going to address the crowd about his future endeavors. Yep. And I, I fully think he's gone. In fact, I'm going to give you the, my early prediction. Okay. Uh, he is either going to get beaten down a la Rocky Four style by Braun Breaker to further the storyline from Tommaso Ciampa. Okay. Or he's going to lose straight up to Carmelo Hayes in probably the best match you're going to see on NXT this year. See, I don't think he's leaving just because I'm, you know, I'm looking at the stuff online, you know, not necessarily the rumors or the posts or the Twitter stuff, you know, but I'm looking at the WWE NXT uh, Instagram account where they're previewing tonight's card, you know, and the first thing they got there, Sean Ken, photo of Johnny Gargano, uh, where it says, tonight on hashtag WWE NXT 2.0, what will Johnny Gargano have to say? So they're actively promoting a moment that wasn't broadcast by then, but still made it out because I think Sam Roberts was the first one to yes. post a video. You know, so they're actively addressing or promoting the Gargano is going to be on tonight and have something to say, which is something that they have not done on any, because let's face it, Vince is running the show mm-hmm. now that they have not done on any level with any wrestler that I can think of that has been getting ready to, they didn't even address Adam Cole leaving when he was getting ready to leave. And he was the guy that carried that brand for like two years, you know? So I, I think he's staying. I think what he'll ultimately end up doing is, is, he won't say whether he's staying or leaving. He'll just say, I'm taking some time off. Candace is getting ready. You know, the holidays are coming up. Candace is getting ready to have her baby, which is not sorry. That's legit folks. Mm. You know, I'm going to take some time to be with my family, be with Candace for, you know, her pregnancy. And then we're going to go from there. And then you'll see him turn up NXT main roster, whatever it ends up being. I think he'll, he'll turn up there because I'm willing to bet he might have. And I don't know, you know, whether he did or not, but just speculation. Maybe he did sign a contract extension with them, but they're keeping it so close to the vest. 
it's say maybe only Vince Gargano and Candice know. So that so that way, it, because Vince knows better than anybody, these rumors get out and everything. Wants to keep it as close to the vest as he can. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's only Vince and Candice and, and Johnny know. So that way, it doesn't get out. Quite possibly. I mean, there's no easy way to figure out what's going on there. But I, I now I could still see him going to AEW and and doing the Indies run like Joey Janela does. And if he does, that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. whatever he wants to do would make him happy. I'm I'm fine with that. I just think it's very odd for WWE on their official social media accounts to be actively promoting a wrestler who might be on his way out to the competition and actively promoting it on social media. The only other way that this might go over, like I I see that point, but I'll even raise this. Sure. You know Vince doesn't care about AEW. That's true. And if Johnny did him a solid, like maybe he signed the contract and he said, yo, I'll stay through a couple more days. Because the the other thing too is Candice's contract technically comes up, I think some point, early to mid part of next year, but she's expected to get time added on for the time yeah. she's missed because of the right, pregnancy. Right, right, right. Yeah, so Candace is going to be a different ball of wax, but I think in Johnny's case, I think in, he probably worked out a deal with Vince and said, listen, I'm willing to stay through war games. I'll put over somebody else on the way out the door. You can hype it up however you want. And that's why I say, like, he's going to try giving his speech and Braun Breaker will come and beat him up. Maybe. Like, I, I see something like that. Like, he's not going to be able – he's not going to address the crowd. Somebody will interrupt him. Somebody will do that. But you also have to remember, too, he is the heart and soul uh-huh. of NXT. I mean, he's always been Johnny Takeover since, sure. since it's been there. They might give him a proper send-off and let him let him address what he's going to do. But guarantee you this, he's going to lose on the way out the door. That is the easiest lock you can find. A lot of things going on yeah. in Atlanta Pro Wrestling, though. And even so, very quickly to address, I know on Monday night, Liv Morgan lost to uh, Becky Lynch in the title. I had a feeling that was going to happen just because as much as they were hyping up, you know, the what was it, the Trish and Lita match and how Trish, mm-hmm. Trish texted uh, Liv, you know, I'll win it tonight for the blondes. Like, they were just set, like, I'm just sitting there going, oh, she's going to lose. Yeah, it was kind of a weird setup they did for it, but I will say this. I know she lost and Becky cheated to win. Yep. I think that sets up a potential for Liv that she might get another title shot sooner than later. Oh, I think so. And I'm and I'm kind of buying into some hype I've been reading online too. I'm not doubting she wins the Women's Royal Rumble. I'm thinking that could be the case. I, th- I think they're setting her up for a very nice uh, run and really give her some shine. Yeah, so anything is completely possible with that. Like we say, a lot of pro wrestling to talk about, so definitely hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. Also, remember to check out the latest episode of 607TWS on your favorite podcast player as well. But War Games, or as our good friend JVD wants me to yell, War Games! War Games! War Games! What was your thoughts about NXT's biggest night? Who won? Who lost, in your opinion? And what about your feelings towards the future of NXT 2.0? Are you staying or are you jumping ship? That's been a topic that's been going around as well, too, from fans. Where is the vibe for you, ODPH Society? Hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains 
Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Time for that local minute. Yeah, got to talk some Binghamton Black Bears hockey. Uh, looking at the standings, they're currently in third place uh, with a record of 7-5. and five. Uh, They've got Danbury ahead of them with a record of 9-3-1. and one. Uh, And then Watertown with a record of 9-2. and two. Uh, Looking at their schedule, uh, they won their, or excuse me, they lost their game last week uh, to Watertown by the final score of 6-1. to one. Got two games coming up this week, both of them out of town. Friday, December 10th, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, they are on the road playing the Columbus River uh, River Dragons. Uh, and then on Saturday, December 11th, also at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, they are still on the road playing the Columbus River Dragons. Uh, they do not return home until Saturday, December 18th. Uh, so you got a bit of time there. For more information, tickets, and all that other good stuff, BinghamtonBlackBears.com. And going over to the Binghamton Bulldogs, winners this past Saturday night, December 4th, against the Cameron Monarchs. Hey. Uh, 112 to 101. Yikes. So the Bulldogs back on the winning trail, so that's always good. And they did win on Friday, December 3rd, as well, against the Northeast Pennsylvania All-Stars and Stripes. Uh, 131 to 68. Jeez. Holy, holy shit. That's like a Memphis Grizzlies score. I was going to say the Grizzlies definitely ruined some things. So the Bulldogs are back home this Saturday, December 11th, against the Delaware Snipers at the Bulldogs Sport Complex, 705. And I believe it is Ugly Sweater Night. Oh, so they're, boy. So they're doing a promotion on there. According to their Facebook page, this Saturday night, Ugly Sweater Night, winner of the best ugly sweater will bring home a bunch of goodies worth over $75. There should be some doozies. Yeah, so Bulldog, Santa hat, T-shirt, water bottle, concession stand stack, and one free ticket to the game on January 8th. Nice. So, yeah, so more information on that, uh, BinghamtonBulldogs.com, or go check out their Facebook page. And they are currently ranked number 18 in the ABA rankings nationwide. Not bad. So not too shabby for the 7-2 Bulldogs, so definitely go out and support them. And to close out the local minute, got to talk some Excite Wrestling. Yeah. So this past week was Excite Wrestling's Fight Club. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to make it down to the show. Okay. It was not streaming on Twitch either. Hmm. Don't really know what's going on, so we'll have to kind of ask Johnny Moose next time we bump into him what was the real deal going on with that. However, though, they did announce that 2022 will be the year of the Peacock. Ah. Because they have announced their next show will be January 1st at the X, and Dalton Castle. Oh, boy. Will be coming back to Excite. If you have not had the chance to experience Dalton Castle, because you don't watch Dalton Castle, you don't witness Dalton Castle, Dalton Castle is an experience. Yes. Uh, you are missing out on a great opportunity. Yes. So he will be in attendance on the 1st of January at Excite. And obviously, you know, he is, he is the Peacock. So uh-huh. thus is the year of the Peacock. Uh, at Excite. So uh, the only other match that was announced, and I'm guessing some shenanigans must have happened because we have a rematch against Sean Carr and TJ Epics for the international title, and it's a ladder match. Sounds like shenanigans ensued. Yes, so we'll definitely have to find out what is going on. If you have some results for Excite Fight Club, send them our way at OD Parlay Hour. I definitely want to check it out. I haven't been able to get a hold of John. He's been a little busy, and obviously – we knew one big thing that was going down at Excite Wrestling Fight Club, and that is the retirement of Rob Cook. Uh, we do know Rob. He is a friend of the show. Yeah. And we just want to say good luck and well wishes on an amazing career and future endeavors for you. Yes. I'm sure we'll see him back at the X sooner oh, or yeah. later doing something. So definitely shout out to Rob. And I was, I've was i heard nothing but positive things about that experience. So yeah, definitely. If, if his wife has anything to say, he is legit retired. He's not coming back. Yeah, this is facts. So. Like, like he posted, because I'm friends with him on Facebook, he posted a cartoon drawing of him and a sign 
uh, behind him said the return of Ivy Green. And his wife commented in all caps, fucking say what now? Yeah. And he's like, don't worry, it's just a cartoon. And she's like, it better be. Yeah, yeah, no, Rob's done, done. So we'll kind of have to wait and see what happens at Excite, though. And obviously, follow them on social media as well. Tell them the ODP page sent you. They like hearing that. Yeah. So let us round the bases and take this show home, Pat. Yeah, I got to talk some college football uh, because the play, uh, college football playoff and bowl schedule came out. Not going to go through everything because <laughs> we'd be here a while. Facts. Uh, but just some ones to note uh, for the college football playoffs uh, in the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic, you have number four Cincinnati taking uh, taking on number one Alabama. That game is at three thirty p.m. Eastern on where is it? Uh, December or excuse me, uh, Friday, uh, December thirty first, uh, and then uh, that same day in the Capital One Orange Bowl. You've got number three Georgia taking on number two Michigan. Uh, that's supposed to be at seven thirty, but like we know with most of these college football games, if they run over, then they're going to delay the start of the other one. Uh, and then for the big ones, the uh, the New Year's Day ones, uh, you've got the Outback Bowl, uh, which is uh, Penn State taking on Arkansas. That one's at noon, uh, one p.m. You've got the Citrus Bowl between Iowa and Kentucky. You've got the Fiesta Bowl between Notre Dame and Oklahoma State. Like anyone's going to watch that fucking game. Yeah. Uh, then you've got the Rose. Bowl game uh, between Ohio State and Utah. Uh, the Sugar Bowl between Ole Miss and Baylor. Uh, so uh, more times information. Yeah, you can Google them. Uh, there's a good uh, list on ESPN.com, though. You should definitely check out. Absolutely. Uh, for my bases, i got to give a shout-out. Blue Shirt Nation, stand up. Stand up. Do we not know what they are doing right now, those New York Rangers? Streak. They are on a definite streak. Winners of their last six in a row. And they are playing back-to-back games tonight, uh, starting off in Chicago. So mm. definitely going to be some tough challenges for our New York uh, Rangers hockey team. And then they're going to be back home against Colorado on the 8th, but currently on a big win streak. The boys are looking good right now. Yeah. So definitely it's Blue Shirt Nation here. That's why we don't cover anybody else here on hockey because, honestly, we can't be biased. That's the one team that everybody is universally on board with for the panel. So, obviously, Blue Shirt Nation stand up. We are Rangers Town every day and all day on this podcast. And I guess I should say another base in this one. For the people that really are paying to see this fight. And, and, I ask, and why? And I, my first question is why. Jake Paul uh-huh. has a new opponent because uh, Tommy Fury withdrew and i guess somebody said online it was tyson fury i was like wait when did that match i saw i listen i didn't know it was tommy fury i just saw the headline fury and i'm like wait what the fuck yeah um fury's team according to espn uh had to withdraw from a severe chest infection and broken Mm -hmm. rib yeah so stepping in place of him on december 18th is Tyrone Woodley in a rematch Uh uh-huh because uh if memory serves jake paul said he wouldn't fight Woodley again, unless he uh, tattooed his name on his body someplace. And I think he put it on like his finger. Or he put it on his left middle finger. Left middle finger. So hence the rematch. Also, Jake Paul has said if uh, Tyrone Woodley knocks him out, he will give him an extra $500,000. <sighs> there is an AEW tie to this as well. Ooh. So when Fury pulled out, one Anthony Agogo tweeted to Jake Paul saying, quote, you shitbag, I've seen one British TV star slash sporting heartthrob has pulled out. This TV star slash sporting heartthrob will happily take his place on 12 days notice. A hand person raising their hand emoji. I haven't had a pair of gloves on in three years, but I'll still spank you like the bitch you are. Fight me. Close quote. I would be down for that. I'm not saying I would pay for it, but I would be down for that. 
A go-go? Like, what happened ever since he got Roselander? He got Roselander, and we haven't seen him since. Mm-hmm. Not to my knowledge. Yeah. Oh, I, I'd be I'd be completely fine with that if he came back and knocked Jake Paul on his ass. Yeah. I, his last – so the article I'm reading from notes, his last professional boxing fight took place in October of 2016 against Craig Cunningham. Uh, and then in 2019, he officially retired from boxing due to issues with his eyes. Yeah, he's had he's – uh, it's a very well-documented story. Like if you look back at the buildup between him and Cody Rhodes and their match, like a go-go goes over everything. It's you, you become very sympathetic for him. Like you, yeah. you, you definitely get on board with him. Backfiring yet again on the Roadslander. Just saying. Mm-hmm. All right, so let us close this show out talking some locks and leaps. And the standings are getting a little crazy going in that final stretch. JT from the East Coast Avengers podcast is still at number in first place with 54 points, but he is getting some heat behind him. Uh huh. By the one and only Padawan J. I'm on that ass. 50 points. Joey from the Soul Wizard podcast is at 47. Evan the Great. Had 43 points this week, and I believe he had a perfect week, too, which I was mistaken when I put it in our group chat. So I will publicly apologize to Evan about that. I was a little upset about the Bills game. Bear with, because I was just trying to get those stats out quick. Uh, Rich from our the Three Fat Nerds podcast is there at 43 as well. At 42 points, Jay West from the We Get Dub podcast and yours truly. Mac East from We Get Dubbed and your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy, is at 41. Who, in his own words, is falling apart. Yes, I mean, it's all right. LSU will take you. Oh. Oh. They'll build you back up. Oh. We went there. Yes, I did. Ooh. Until he comes back in studio and confronts me about it. We're going to be talking about hey, this. Hey, speaking of LSU, shout out to Brian Kelly's one-day Southern accent. Yeah. Oh, my. How bad. Uh, that, that's terrible. Oh. Uh, <laughs> sorry. just need to get that bad taste out. Um, Brian Wayne from Cheers Comics making a run out of last place finally. 38 points. Mash from the Hopskies podcast, 37. And JVD from Villains Demand is at 33. So that being said, Pad, who you got for locks and leaps this week? Uh, so for my lock, I'm going to take the Seattle Seahawks. We're playing the, the uh, Houston Texans. Seattle's currently favored by 7.5 points, so I think Seattle will be able to do that in spades. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then for my leap, uh, I'm going to take the Baltimore Ravens, who are playing the Cleveland Browns. Uh, currently, Baltimore is 2.5-point underdogs. Uh, I think Baltimore is definitely going to be able to bounce back and uh, beat Cleveland. That is a solid pick, my friend. All right. That is very solid. Uh, so mine, my lock is Aaron Rodgers doing Aaron Rodgers things on Sunday night. Okay. Green Bay is home hosting the Pairs. I looked at it, but just with the points, but I'm like, I don't know if I want to go near that. See, here's my thing about the Bears. The Bears are absolutely atrocious. Uh, and Aaron Rodgers is their unofficial owner. Yes, and Aaron Rodgers is on that. Uh, I'm packing up and heading to Pittsburgh march right now. Yeah. So I think he's going to want to put on a performance and a half, yeah, oh yeah, to say the least. Hey, hey, if he does it, it works for my fantasy team. Yeah, it definitely does. Just like, saying. And for my leap, I'm actually very torn. Okay. Because on paper, I want to do something, but I can't. I have a feeling I know what that you're talking about. No, it's not the Bills. Oh, okay. No, no, I. The Buffalo's only th- uh, three point dogs. Yeah, I thought about that. I re- I legit did because like it's now or never. But I don't like betting on my own team, even in you know fantasy here. I am actually going to take. I was going to take. I just I should explain first. I was going to go with the 49ers over the Bengals. Okay. The Bengals are a little beat up. Okay. 49ers are traveling though. Yeah. But I can't do it because look what happened last week. This is true. And I was struggling with it. This is true. So I decided to take the greatness of the Raiders. Oh. 
Oh, all right. Going to Kansas City. Oh. They're nine and a half dogs. I got a feeling if any team is going to show up, it's going to be the Raiders. And we'll see if I'm right or wrong about this one. I'm not sure how that game's going to go. All I know is that it will not be the same performance that it was a couple of weeks ago. Exactly. That's why I said they're going to come in a chip on the shoulder. They uh-huh. This is going to be a, a hard-hitting show. They're going to come in with a chip on their shoulder the size of the Las Vegas Strip. And that's why I say, like, that's why I like the Raiders in this one. So shout-out to Rich from 3FN. I know he's a big Raiders fan. He's probably going to be like, I wouldn't even go near that game, but I'm going to roll some dice here. Uh-huh. I have to. i got to take some chances here. So that all being said. The music you heard on this edition of the ODPH, that and Brian Wolf. Brian has got some local gigs coming up if you're in the 607. So definitely you want to stay tuned for that. Yeah. But, Pat, where do I go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on, because right then and there, you'll be able to check down everything going on with Brian. His socials are all over the place. There is Bandcamp. You name it. If it's Brian Wolf, it's right there. Also, shout at the robots, which sent out a very nice message to all their patrons uh, today. So definitely, if you're on the shout at the robots pa- Patreon, and you should be because they're fantastic, you'll definitely understand what's going on. And it looks like they have a big 2022 lined up ahead of them. Also, there you can find out Tom Jolu, who's fantastic in his own right, too. And you should be having that album because it's amazing. And he's got some gigs coming up, too. Second Suitors always doing big things. Yard Party, which we will have on the ODPH in 2022. Lock that in. We're going to finally get that worked out one way or another. They're coming on the show. All And, of course, Floodlands. All the amazing groups you hear on the ODPH. Also, you swing by the directory, which has ODPH links on your favorite podcast provider. If we're not on there, we need to know we're not on there. Because, Pat, how many providers do we have up there? Like over 9,000. Exactly. And they all work, too. They're all direct links to the ODPH. So if your favorite podcast player is not on there, let us know. We'll see about getting that fixed. Also, swing by the classifieds while you're there, which has organizational links supporting Black Lives Matter. All our friends of the show, such as Dragon Master Games, such as Excite Wrestling, and a bunch of others that you definitely want to go check out for this holiday season. If you're thinking about doing some shopping, think about shopping local because it does help a lot of people out. And also, all the amazing pod groups we're in. So, of course, we always shout out the Inner Circle. Good group of pods right there. Got to give a quick shout-out to the Apollos, though, Pat. Yeah? We did a big recruitment this week. Oh, okay. 18 new shows are now under the banner. Wow. We're doing kind of big things, so if you're not familiar with that list on Podchaser, get familiar and drop a like. Just saying. And, of course, shout-out to our friends over at 8122 Productions, hashtag 607podcast, all day, every day. Go check out what they're doing on Patreon. I know they got some big plans in store for 2022, so you definitely don't want to miss what is going down next year. Dare I say it might be the year of the diesel. Oh, boy. We'll have to wait and see about that. All of that, the T Public Store, which has new designs, including the pads. Dealing shirt is on there right now. Yeah. Hot seller. You definitely want to go add that to your collection. And so much more is at odphpodcast.com. Almost forgot about the blogs. New blogs. Definitely check out Parlay Points. Got a lot of good stuff coming this week. Man, there's so much ODPH content coming out. You definitely don't want to miss it. So drop those follows, drop those subs, and get familiar real quick. Because that's all I got for this week. So for the one and only, Padawan J. Fuck the Astros. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time. Sometimes I lay awake at night Wondering what life would be like If you weren't taken before your time The lessons you taught me Try to remember, try
just like I'm staying 